0: This is Global Tennessee, news, analysis, and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome to the May 26th edition of Global Engagement our news review, I'm Patrick Ryan. And I'm Dick Bowers. Today we're gonna talk about the top five topics in the news from the past week. First, I'd like to note this week's observance of Memorial Day, a time for reflection on the loss of about one million Americans in uniform in the nation's wars. We're grateful for the service and sacrifice of those who died in the line of duty and for the tragic loss felt by their families. Second, I'd like to thank Colleen Ryan for filling in last week as co-host of our news review.
1: Good and, job, Colleen.
0: And I'd like to thank Ambassador Bowers for moving up in the time slot to last week's global dialogue on the future of U.S. foreign service and American diplomacy. A great conversation, Dick. And uh, you can you can all catch those on our archive at uh, youtube.com slash TNWAC. That's where we keep all of our webinars, so take a look for, uh, for that uh, program, um, Nick. Any any uh, reflections on on that uh, conversation about the plots I thought
1: it was a very good conversation, and I applaud the effort that's that's uh, going on with some of my colleagues, uh, retired ambassadorial colleagues. Because. Um, America needs the very best foreign service it can have, both to promote the interest of its people overseas and the interest of our country. And this whole effort is to, you know, you don't want to go into the arena uh, with a team that's not ready to play. So we need a professional, highly competent and skilled foreign service and get out there and do the job. So I hope this will transcend any partisan politics and realize that it doesn't matter which party or which person's in the office, America needs to have the best team it can have out there.
0: Sure. Well, uh, I'd like to, uh, before we get going with our news review, uh, two last things. One is to remind people that we'd like to uh, have you join the World Affairs Council. It's a membership organization. So visit tnwac.org join to get more information about the benefits for being members. And that's where you can sign up. And lastly, before we start, uh, let me offer uh, to my partner the happiest uh, uh, birthday wishes. Uh, today is uh, <laughs> <laughs> today is Ambassador Bauer's uh, birthday, and he came came to work anyway. So, uh,
1: take ha-
0: happy birthday! And I understand you've already had a virtual candle blowing ceremony, so uh, you're in good shape. Thank you, Pat. Okay, over to you for uh, to get going.
1: Well, normally we, we do five topics, and we're going to do five topics again with some some little subtopics. So number one is the COVID news, and we're going to run through the numbers of what's going on. Second is a kerfuffle that's going on in the United Kingdom, which is kind of called La Faire Dominique, is a politician who is a right-hand man of Boris Johnson, who basically violated the lockdown rules, and that's created some problems. Then the Americas has emerged as the new global hotspot and WHO and hydroxychloroquine and the fact that our president was taking that and what all that means. Then we move on to China and basically there were two sessions, the highest bodies in China that took place and some interesting decisions that came out of those and one of which was China now looking to be more aggressive against Hong Kong. So we'll talk about that and where did Hong Kong come from and what does all that mean. And then Brazil. Uh, Bolsonaro has been kind of a Trump clone, if you will, but he also has equated the COVID-19 to, oh, it's just like the flu. Well, Brazil now has the highest rate of infection in the world. And finally, North fact, Korea second, and
0: second only to the U.S.
1: I'm sorry. Yes, but uh, but they've they've even had more during this last couple of week period. I think right. than we've had. Yes. Kidding, you know. and then North Korean nuclear deterrence and what's going on with that. So it's a a full plate to chew on, Pat. So let's get going.
0: Okay, uh, we're going to start something new this week. We're going to take a question from our What in the World weekly quiz, which uh, Ambassador, you're you've gotten. Uh, Uh, probably the highest marks on this quiz and and probably the longest duration of a a quiz taker. I I think you're an an expert on our weekly quiz, Uh, but uh, for those who are not familiar, every Monday morning at 10 a.m., we uh, distribute via email and website and social media a 10-question quiz to keep you on your toes as to uh, what's going on in the world. And we uh, do indicate at the end at the next quiz who the winners were, and at the end of that month, uh, we have a prize for the uh, the quiz winner drawn from a hat. So uh, this uh, this week quiz is on the uh, the G7 and uh, news that the U.S. National Security Advisor, Mr. O'Brien, said on Sunday that the uh, that an in-person summit of the Group of Seven, the G7 global leaders, could be set for late June, and President Trump has said an in-person meeting would send the signal that the world was back to normal. And our question is, which of these countries is not in the G7? We'll give you the answer at the end of the the, uh, episode today. Is it A, Canada, B, Japan, C, Italy, or D, Russia? So that's our uh, question of the week. Okay, Uh, we're into uh, topic one, our COVID update, and uh, we uh, are gonna go through the numbers. Um, as we can see, there's uh, been an increase of about 800,000 cases globally uh, and a, an uptick uh, in the deaths up to 348,000 worldwide. Uh, so those are the, uh, the worldwide numbers. Uh, the, uh, the increase on a linear scale is uh, continuing to, uh, to head upward, no uh, indication that the, uh, the level is flattening off worldwide, uh, but we are seeing that in some countries uh, they are bouncing back and uh, starting to open up. And in places like uh, Brazil, as Ambassador Bowers mentioned, uh, they are uh, seeing a, an uptick in a significant way. Uh, U.S. cases, uh, sadly, were up to 1.7 million uh, coronavirus cases and um, just shy of 100,000 deaths uh, in the United States as a result of, uh, of COVID. So uh, let's... Um, take a look at uh, some of the snapshots in the news and in, in COVID uh, uh, developments. Uh, Dick, you wanna talk a little bit about uh, LaFaire Dominique?
1: Well, uh, Dominique Cummings is a right-hand man for Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And he had come down with COVID-19 and his wife was uh, symptomatic. And they live in London, where he has a child. They have a family home that's uh, about 250 miles or so away from London. So rather than go into quarantine in London, he decided to hop in his car with his wife and with his child and head back home. So this violated the sort of standing lockdown rules that, that were out there. And then there was kind of a side trip to a castle nearby. Uh, he was seen parking near there, and his, he and his wife uh, got out of the car and were doing things. So this has been an outcry from the politicians who are anti-Johnson and anti-Cummings. Uh, Cummings was instrumental, by the way, in the, the whole Brexit initiative and pushing that thing through. So one of Johnson's ministers has already resigned in protest, and Cummins has given an hour-long or more press conference, and the polls are tanking for Johnson, and uh, 59% of the last poll that we saw said that Cummins should resign, and 71% believe that he broke the lockdown rules and just for his own personal convenience and gain. So it's going to be a major distraction in the UK for a while.
0: Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because the uh, the UK is seeing uh, a major uptick in uh, in cases and they're uh, kind of at a crossroads as, as to how to handle uh, what's going on in their their battle against COVID. Meanwhile, in uh, the Americas, the World Health Organization, the Americas being the, the Western Hemisphere, not just America, uh, but the World Health Organization considers, considers uh, the Americas to be the new epicenter of COVID uh, in the world and um, uh, they suggest that it's not time for countries in the Americas to be easing uh, restrictions uh, that might have been in place. The uh, director for the Americas, uh, who's also the head of the Pan American Health Organization, uh, Carissa Etienne, uh, told a news conference that the outbreaks uh, were accelerating in countries such as Brazil, where the numbers of deaths reported in the last week were the highest in the world for a seven-day period uh, since the pandemic uh, began.
1: Yeah, and then uh, the WHO also was weighed in on the hydroxychloroquine issue. Uh, if you'll remember, President Trump was very anxious to have people push this and he thought it would give it a try and he, his famous quip was, uh, well, what do you have to lose? Well, evidently, you have quite a bit to lose because if you take this and get COVID, uh, your chances of become seriously ill or even dying are are ticked up. So the WHO was involved with uh, other other studies uh, trying to figure out if this would work or not, and now preliminary kind of results have come out saying this really doesn't help, and they've suspended as a precaution that uh, you should not be taking this sort of thing anymore.
0: Yeah, and, and there was a specific warning uh, that I saw in the in the press reporting, Dick, uh, about Indonesia. Apparently, they uh, they used a lot of hydrochloroquine uh, in Indonesia, so the WHO warned specifically uh, that it, that it could be uh, hazardous.
1: Well, it it it's a recognized legitimate drug against malaria, right? Right. But as far as doing it just for COVID, it's uh, not recommended, and in fact people are saying you really shouldn't do this. So.
0: Yeah, well, even, and even in use against malaria, it uh, does have risks yeah, uh, side associated effect. with it, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's uh, move into topic two, uh, China and what is known as the, uh, the two sessions. And this is a, an annual uh, meeting uh, that was set for, I believe it was early March, uh, was postponed due to the pandemic in China. Uh, and it consists of two uh, organizations, two bodies, the National Peace People's Congress, the NPC, which is the top legislative body in China, and the Chinese People's Political Consultative Congress, the PCC, which is a political body, uh, part of the Communist Party uh, infrastructure in, the, in China. And the, the uh, Chinese top leaders, they, they come together for this annual meeting uh, to discuss uh, a variety of national security economic and and other issues that uh, uh, are on on the table uh, for the country to consider uh, one of the uh, notable uh, conclusions uh, this year uh, was that they acknowledged that uh, the the economy had dropped six point eight percent in the first quarter of uh, of this year and that was really uh, kind of a uh, startling statistic to see uh, China has enjoyed, uh, you know, 8, 9, 10% growth rates over the last couple of decades, and uh, to uh, to see a drop of 6.8%, uh, obviously reflecting the uh, economic uh, conditions there as a result of, of the COVID uh, crisis. A couple of other things that uh, came out of the two sessions, the, the uh, uh, there was an approval of 6.6 military spending increase, which uh, in times of austerity shows the commitment of China to, uh, to its military expansion, uh, but it was noted that this was the lowest increase in a couple of decades. So the military is continuing to uh, get emphasis, uh, but they're, they're having to back off a little bit compared to some other annual uh, increases. Uh, One of the big items, and we're going to talk about this as uh, topic three, uh, the national security law for Hong Kong uh, was uh, uh, concluded at uh, the two sessions meeting. So we'll, we'll get into that here in just a second. Um, Of note, they, uh, they did not set a GDP target due to the big uncertainties in the economy um, and trade and investment and so forth, but they did uh, put uh, on the top of the gender agenda, uh, reviving the economy, addressing unemployment, uh, addressing uh, uh, other issues uh, that the government is concerned about, the consumer price index, uh, and so forth. They did set an urban uh, unemployment target of about 6% compared to 5.5% last year. Uh, we don't know what they're currently looking at. You know, Compared to the United States, uh, they must be in uh, a similar uh, sad state of affairs in terms of the employment rate so we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on their economic uh, reforms. Dick, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Hong Kong. Uh, okay. that, was, that was one of the, the major uh, pieces that came out of... Um, the, How about uh, a little,
1: little background? I mean, I, I imagine there are some viewers, listeners out there saying, well, what is the deal with Hong Kong? What is it? So physically, it is a part of... China. Uh, and there, you bring the map up, you, you see where you have it circled down there, Pat. Um,
0: I, I was going to do the panhandle of Alabama, Florida. Oh, <laughs> ah, okay. But, but there were no hurricanes coming, so that, that was my Sharpie contribution.
1: So basically, back uh, in the 1800s, early 1800s, uh, the U- Britain, the UK, was moving around the world and acquiring colonies. And one of the things that they did was they went to China and they got involved with what's called the Opium Wars. And that led to the defeat of China, which was undergoing all sorts of internal strife at the time. And there wasn't a strong central government, but that government that did exist, ceded Hong Kong to the British Empire in 1842 through the Treaty of Nanjing. And that was sort of ended the first Opium War. And then Hong Kong became a British crown colony. Basically, Britain acts as if they're sovereign in that area. And then there was a second Opium War in the 1860s. And Kowloon, which is on the map on the bottom right there, sort of in the center, Kowloon, was also ceded to Britain. And then finally, the British... uh, decided to rent for 99 years and lease these new territories, which expanded, and now that whole area, the Hong Kong Island, Kowloon, and the new territories was under British sovereign jurisdiction. So then Britain basically acted as if they were sovereign there for a long time. And then after the Second World War, Britain started retreating and moving back and giving up many of its colonies, including Singapore. And he cut a deal with China in 1984 for a new arrangement. So sovereign and administrative arrangement. That said, basically, as of 1997, that there would be the principle of one country, two systems. So basically, Britain recognized the residual sovereignty of China over the Hong Kong er area. And the deal was supposed to keep going for 50 years or until 2047. And now that deal is being questioned. And Pat, maybe you can get into why they're doing what they're doing.
0: Well, uh, yeah, Dick, uh, I think uh, this also came out of, The two sessions, uh, China basically has uh, uh, Beijing, the central government has has basically uh, lost its patience with uh, what's going on uh, in uh, uh, in Hong Kong, and we'll get uh, get another slide up here that might uh, might be helpful.
1: Yeah, well, there've been been riots going on in Hong Kong for months if not the last couple of years in huge manifestations, China basically is trying to backpedal from the one country two system agreement and wants to impose its authority and its uh, desire to do all things in Hong Kong rather than allow the Hong Kong people to have a measure of their own independence and freedom.
0: Yeah, I think people have seen uh, the news reports and the street rioting and, and what's been going on in Hong Kong, uh, I guess, for about 10 years or so. There was the Umbrella Revolution and uh, yes. fights in the streets and fights in train stations. And and uh, Beijing had mass troops on the border of uh, the new territories, uh, but they held off uh, getting involved directly, uh, although there was a lot of rhetorical uh, um, influence that was exerted but now as a result of this two sessions meeting they've uh, they've said that uh, enough is enough and they're uh, putting in place uh, what they call a sound legal system and enforcement mechanism and that uh, there was no mention in the uh, the statement about the principle of Hong Kong people governing Hong Kong and that uh, that the Chinese government uh, was going to institute a new law that would prescribe what they term secessionist and subversive activity. So uh, it looks like uh, there's gonna be a lot of pushback on uh, what's going on uh, in Hong Kong in terms of uh, uh, the uh, the influence of the central government in Beijing. Uh, as you can imagine, there's been a lot of uh, pushback from the United States. Uh, President Trump uh, has reacted directly. He's, he vowed that uh, the US would uh, react strongly if these reforms this law was enacted, and there's been uh, a lot of outrage on Capitol Hill as well. But uh, I guess the the postscript for this story, Dick, is uh, what about Taiwan? What does this signal about uh, Taiwan?
1: Uh, well, ge- just geographically there, Pat, that you look at the uh, of the map. The flag you're seeing is the uh, flag of the, of Taiwan, uh, and Taiwan has bounced back and forth over the the decades and centuries. China had a big influence on it, then Japan had a big influence on it. Um, Now China is back and saying Taiwan is Chinese and it's part of ours. When the Chinese civil war between the communists and the nationalists ended, the nationalists basically withdrew from mainland China and set up shop in Taiwan there were indigenous Taiwanese who were there who were not necessarily happy by having all these mainland Chinese come in and take over their their island. But they've settled down and now Taiwan has become basically uh, an independent entity in the world. Right after the civil war in China, when the communists took over in 1949, um, the United States recognized the the Chinese government in Taiwan as the legitimate government of all of China. And that was the United States policy for a n- number of years. Finally, we got into- And, and a, tai-
0: Taiwan held the seat at the United Nations.
1: Yes, Taiwan held the seat at the United Nations. Well, it held the seat as China. they happened right. to be resident in, in Taiwan. Uh, and then that ended uh, when the United States recognized the People's Republic of China as a legitimate sovereign government turned over and agreed to the Chinese Communist government on the mainland taking over the seat in the United Nations and becoming the head of China. But we continued to protect with our military capabilities and basically told mainland China, you cannot, you better not attack Taiwan, otherwise you'll be at war with us. So Taiwan has sort of gone on doing its thing. It's a very prosperous country. They've had one of the best responses worldwide to COVID-19. But China continues to say, Taiwan, don't forget, you're part of China, and one day we're going to come in and you're going to become come back to the motherland, if you will.
0: Well, you know, there's uh, the thought that there'll be peaceful unification, uh, but Taiwan is uh, resolutely uh, independent. And, and uh, just recently, uh, as part of this two session um, meetings last week, pre- the Chinese uh, premier in Beijing, uh, Li Keqiang uh, called uh, for the resolute rejection of secessionist activities seeking Taiwan's independence and urged a deepening of ties across the Taiwan Strait towards peaceful reunification. Uh, And his comments came right after Taiwanese president Tsai Ing-wen had the official inauguration for her second term uh, last week uh, as the uh, leader of of, uh, Taiwan. Uh, But Beijing has not said it will renounce the use of force to reunify uh, its claims of sovereignty over the island. And and I can recall uh, Dick sailing through the Taiwan Strait there on a a US warship uh, demonstrating freedom of navigation and also the presence of the US military in the region so there's came uh
1: and Matsu were little islands right off the Well it was coast of China right
0: <laughs> That was a little before my time that was back ah. in the 50s but um, yeah the US military has always um, exerted uh, influence in in that yeah. area to demonstrate and resolve
1: on the diplomatic front that for for a long time i mean the united states policy was we will recognize Taiwan as the legitimate government of China. And that meant we would put pressure on other countries to do the same. So, for example, in Central America, all of the Central American countries had a Chinese embassy, but it was the Taiwan Chinese, not the mainland Chinese. In the last several years, mainland China, People's Republic of China has put a big push on to these countries to disavow their diplomatic relations with Taiwan, establish them with mainland China, and the mainland Chinese have been sweetening the pot by trade deals, uh, infrastructure development, things of that sort, so this now happens. So Taiwan is really down to very few countries that will say it is the legitimate leader of all of China. And in fact, the United States has something that is called an interest section in Taipei, the capital of Taiwan. And it is an embassy in everything but name. But it's not an embassy because the embassy to China is in Beijing. So this all gets kind of complicated and it's interesting stuff.
0: Right. uh, Beijing would not uh, uh, accept relations with countries that had relations with Taipei. So yeah. Uh, slowly but surely, the countries have been moving away from Taiwan and, and towards the PRC. Uh, let me just last mention uh, before we move on. Uh, there's uh, an excellent resource uh, for people who want to know more about what's happening with the two sessions, with the situation in Hong Kong and Taiwan. Uh, the South China Morning Post, uh, the SCMP.com, uh, is a great uh, resource. I get their newsletter every day, and it contains. Um, uh, half a dozen or more articles that really give you great insights as to what's going on in China. One of the articles this week was uh, called, uh, it was about Wolf war, Warriors, uh, the Chinese diplomats that are acting uh, aggressively uh, and pushing back against uh, uh, the the other diplomatic uh, calls uh, for ca- China's accountability over COVID, for example, and and other uh, issues between China China and uh, in other countries and the article is called will china's calls for more wolf warriors leave the country's diplomats feeling sheepish so that's at (laughs) uh, scmp.com and uh, it's uh, it's worth taking a look at also let me mention uh, if you're lined up in the queue there uh, please uh, put some questions in the q a uh, box and we'll be happy to uh, respond to those as best we can no questions about Ambassador uh, Bauer's age, even though he's selling his, celebrating his uh, <laughs> his uh, birthday today. Um, uh, I think he successfully blew out all the candles.
1: Uh, yeah, especially when there's only one. But that's good.
0: <laughs> all right, oh. let's uh, let's jump on to uh, to our next topic, uh, Dick, which is uh, Brazil and uh, President Bolsonaro and is a uh, situation with covid
1: okay well just start with the map if you will of that, that green area that's all brazil so one of the interesting things if you go around the top of that map and the number of countries that border on brazil in in south america a lot and brazil is larger than the 48 states of the United States. We, we get bigger if we throw in Alaska, but otherwise, Brazil is a larger country. So it's got a lot, a lot of land space. And probably, you know, two thirds of that to the, to the left, going west, are tropical rainforests. And they are being besieged quite a bit. And you all heard about how they're being turned into cattle ranches and soybean. Uh, production facilities. So, Brazil's out there. Now, they've had a president named Jair Bolsonaro.
0: You know, Dick, I I, don't want to interrupt here, but I I never really, until you mentioned that, uh, it never occurred to me that Brazil touched that many South American countries. uh, That's that's incredible, except for what, Ecuador, Ecuador and Chile?
1: Ecuador and Chile do not have a border with Brazil, but everybody else does.
0: And you were uh, you were ambassador to Bolivia, so you were smack in the middle of that.
1: I was there. In fact, uh, I did something illegal once, Pat, because <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because on the, if you if you that border between Bolivia and Brazil, right? There's a river that's going down there, and I was in that area. It's tropical rainforest. It's it's pristine. It's beautiful. Uh, on the Brazilian side, there was some development. On the Bolivian side there was no development. So without a visa, I went into Brazil and we bought a lot of beer. <laughs> I took it back. They were happy. We were happy. But it's it's, it's quite a, a wonderful thing.
0: I take it the statute of limitations as as run out.
1: I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think at that at that border it's pretty porous. I mean there are a lot of people going back and forth because of the you know, the river is oh, sure. uh, yeah. not, not that control. Sure. So, Mr. Bolsonaro uh, has been a political ally of President Trump, and basically uh, only the United States can claim more coronavirus cases now, as Brazil has the second highest worldwide number of cases with 377,000 almost 100 times more than it had when Bolsonaro made his macho boast back in March that, quote, no little flu is going to take me down, unquote. So a recent poll found that uh, I think 58% of Brazilians rated his response as bad or terrible, and only 21% called it good or excellent. He's already sacked or, or have resigned two health ministers over the course of the pandemic. And there's a big disconnect between the leadership in the federal government and the state government as reflected in the grim numbers. So Brazil is paying the price for not vigorously pursuing the science and instead of going with the gut and just saying, oh, it's just like a little flu.
0: Right. Well, and, and they're, coupling uh, the the health crisis with a political crisis.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a political crisis because uh, Bolsonaro has been accused of using his official position for his private gain. Evidently, uh, he was pressuring the attorney general uh, to not investigate his son, so the prosecutors in the office of the Attorney General had, seems to have gathered enough evidence to charge him with the crime. And there's a video from a cabinet meeting on the 22nd of April that's been released to the public now. And it shows the president committing this administrative advocacy crime or using his public position to advance a private agenda. And In this case, it was him allegedly pressuring who the then justice minister, Sergio Moro, to fire the chief of the federal police in order to shield his sons from investigation. So this has created a big kerfuffle in Brazil, and a recent poll showed that only 39% of the Brazilians approve of Bolsonaro, and that's the lowest in his presidency thus far. So they're gonna have continued problems, especially with COVID, I think.
0: Yeah, it uh, it's it's an interesting parallel to other countries that, uh, and that we won't we won't name any names, but other countries that initially dismissed uh, COVID as uh, as being a problem.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I think you and I both saw this. Uh, Tom Friedman was was in a Carnegie debate, and he gets into you know. Mother Nature, Mother Nature doesn't care if you're Republican or Democrat, and Mother Nature doesn't care what your gut feels. Mother Nature, this is science, and if you you don't deal with Mother Nature in a practical way, she's gonna get you. And these countries that are just saying, "Oh, this is gonna go away," and I was getting kind of shocked with with what's happened over the weekend with some of the pictures coming out in the Ozarks with people just cheek to jowl. I mean, the second spike is coming. We're gonna get hit again. There's no doubt about it.
0: Right. It's not as if um, there's been any change in, in battling COVID. It it no. responded only to uh, shelter in place. Yep. Well, speaking of uh, shelter in place, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, North Korea. Uh, apparently, uh, Kim Jong-un in uh, what has been described as uh, his uh, first meeting since he had a brief appearance he was uh missing for a, uh a couple of weeks, and people had all kinds of theories as to uh, his imminent uh, demise from this or that illness and the possibility his sister might take over uh, but he's back on the scene and he held a meeting uh, to discuss the uh, the country's nuclear capabilities um, and this uh, This is amid the the status of stalled denuclearization. You may recall, uh, Dick, what was it, two years ago, the meeting in Singapore with President Trump and then a a follow-up in Hanoi in which uh, Kim Jong-un indicated that uh, they were ready to denuclearize uh, but really didn't commit to a timetable or freezing programs in place. And they've uh, continued to test missiles, probably continuing to uh, uh, build... uh, New, new warheads and, and uh, work on their program. So this uh, this meeting was uh, somewhat interesting uh, because the tone of the conversation was that uh, North Korea's armed forces uh, needed to, uh, to be beefed up so that they could uh, quote, reliably contain the persistent big or small militarist threats from hostile forces, which, uh, which means uh, the United States. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll throw up uh, a couple of maps here to, to give you an idea of what, uh, what we're talking about in, in terms of relative distances and, and uh, the threat laydown. But the meeting discussed increasing the nuclear war deterrence of the country and putting the strategic armed forces on a, quote, high alert operation. And they mentioned uh, crucial measures for considerably increasing the firepower strike capability of the artillery pieces now a lot of countries when they say artillery they're they 're also talking about rocketry, uh, so that that may not be clear, but it is clear that uh, for decades uh, North Korea, and you can see in the upper left hand map the area in and around Seoul, uh, the capital of, uh, of South Korea, uh, is not that far from the uh, demilitarized zone, the 38th parallel, and uh, uh, artillery pieces, uh, hundreds of them uh, embedded in mountainsides and uh, difficult to uh, identify and and strike if there was a conflict between uh, North Korea and uh, the United States and our allies in South Korea. So you can see that uh, this uh, circle around, uh, in no particular spot uh, in North Korea, extending out 44 miles, uh, the range of uh, some of the artillery uh, covers the metropolitan area of Seoul and it's 25 million people. So even without nuclear weapons, they hold the capital of uh, South Korea at risk uh, just through the sheer firepower of their artillery uh, directly across the DMZ. So that's, uh, that's a persistent threat. Uh, you can see in the uh, uh, the map of North and South Korea, uh, some of the missile launch sites, uh, the nuclear test site, nuclear research complexes. So a lot of that is, uh, is spread out across uh, North Korea, um, and I'm certain that uh, the U.S. intelligence community is is working at keeping track of of developments at those facilities. Uh, lastly, the uh, the map with the uh, the rings shows the uh, the range at which uh, some of its missiles, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, and theater surface-to-surface ballistic missiles uh, could reach. And the furthest uh, ring uh, for a missile that we believe, uh, from what I've seen in reports, uh, may be operational and they may have been able to mate a nuclear warhead with, uh, although there's not a 100% certainty, at least in the public domain attached to that, that uh, can reach uh, the United States uh, from North Korea, so they do pose a threat to uh, our allies in the region. You can see their the rings easily reach across Japan, Guam, uh, and so forth. Uh, so they they pose a threat uh, also to our allies in uh, in Australia, uh, but they now are reaching out with uh, missiles and uh, warheads that could reach uh, the American homeland. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that, uh, Dick. And uh, just
1: yeah, just uh, as a as a retired American diplomat. Diplomacy requires persistence, it requires uh, the ability to engage your adversary, and, and it requires compromise, and it takes a long time to get what you want. The fact that Donald Trump just declared victory and nothing has happened is not a good thing. So I do not think the North Koreans will be giving up their nuclear capability anytime soon?
0: Well, the, uh, the head of the uh, intelligence community, the, the last um, director of national intelligence, Mr. Coates, went before Congress sometime after the Singapore uh, yeah. summit and uh, said with, uh, with no ambiguity that North Korea would not give up its nuclear weapons. Um, so we're, you know, we're kind of where we were three years ago.
1: Well, we've been that way for a long time. I mean, various administrations have tried one way or another to try to get the, this thing off the dime, but it has not occurred.
0: Well, in terms of um, uh, mating a nuclear warhead with uh, a, an ICBM that could reach uh, North America, yeah, they've uh, they've certainly been working, uh, you know, pulling our chain on the nuclear issue since uh, the Clinton administration, yeah, uh, all the way through. But uh, we're now in kind of a different world in terms of their their capability. So again, a reminder, uh, throw some questions in the, uh, the question box. Uh, we're going to uh, get to our question of the week here in uh, just a second. First, let me uh, mention that uh, we do appreciate if uh, you not only become a member of the World Affairs Council, but in lieu of that, if uh, you can uh, support us uh, with a text to give, you can text uh, quote give and then a number whatever that number is you choose to 844-959-2934 uh, or you can go to tnwac.org slash donate to uh, make a contribution. Again the World Affairs Council is a non-profit organization and we rely on your generosity uh, to do the things that we do. Okay Dick did you get the question of the week? I did. The uh, National Security Advisor said uh, an in-person summit of the G7 could be set for late June. Which of the countries on that list is not in the G7? And the answer is D, Russia. And the uh, the countries that are in the G7, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, the United States, and a non-numerical member, the European Union. And, uh, Dick, what, what's the background on Russia?
1: Russia? Uh, when they, they
0: were the G8. Uh, they
1: were yeah. They well the G7 plus one or the G8. Russia was in, but when Russia invaded the Crimea, Crimea and took it over, then the G G7 countries expelled Russia from that body, and they have yet to come back.
0: So that's the uh, answer to the quiz. Again, uh, we uh, would like you to be a quiz taker. Every Monday, the uh, quiz, weekly quiz is uh, online. You can subscribe to our yeah, newsletter and, and take get that? it. It's
1: fun. No Googling though. <laughs> and I have, a, I have a question for the audience, Pat, before we go to theirs. So you, you said you're not going to tell them how old I am. So I will give you a hint. The British were heavily engaged in evacuating their army from the continent of Europe at Dunkirk when I was born. So you can look that up, and you'll figure out how old I am. All right.
0: Okay. Have you been to Dunkirk? I have. I I have too. We uh,
1: we lived in An England. Old Normandy we, thing, and then yeah, Dunkirk. We, it's uh, incredible, incredible.
0: We got off the ferry at, at uh, Calais, and the yeah. first uh, the first hotel we could find was in Dunkirk, and we couldn't. We we were looking for a nice little French restaurant, and the only thing we saw were McDonald's and uh, Roy Rogers <laughs> and. <laughs> It was was sad.
1: Globalization. So,
0: <laughs> exactly. So let's uh, let's turn to questions. We have uh, one from uh, from Campbell Lehman, who is one of our WorldQuest students, as I've mentioned, uh, and and probably one of our one of our most uh, loyal uh, webinar uh, participants. Campbell, thanks uh, for uh, for joining in on our webinars, and congratulations. Uh, we received your Tennessee Global Scholar certificate paperwork and the deadline for that is May 31st. So uh, you'll be uh, hearing back from us with uh, a certificate and a medallion. And uh, again, congratulations on that. Well, uh, Dick Campbell uh, asks that uh, we mentioned that President Trump declared victory without having any kind of plan for denuclearization with North Korea. What things would America want to see in order to have confidence in a North Korean denuclearization plan.
1: Well, I think the same kind of regime that we have kind of uh, were able to get in place in Iran, uh, where there's active, vigorous international inspection, uh, where you can go anywhere at any time and inspect and find out what's going on. Uh, you just show up at the gates of whatever facility and they are expected to let you in. And that was working in Iran till yeah. we pulled out of that agreement, but we 've never had any kind of uh, agreement with the North Koreans that such a thing might be possible.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the first phase in the uh, the Iran nuclear deal and and most uh, agreements like this is for the uh, the country in question to uh, compile a list of all their nuclear facilities and activities the amount of material that they have, the the warheads in this case, North Korea uh, has detonated nuclear warheads and uh, even uh, what they purport to be a hydrogen bomb. So all these things would have to be put together in documents so that we would have a baseline of what the inventory looked like in terms of um, factories and bases and uh, technicians and so forth. And then uh, as Ambassador Bowers mentioned, a regime, Uh, probably uh, facilitated by the UN and the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, that would have inspectors uh, on the ground uh, that would uh, look over um, actually visiting the sites and uh, documenting. In
1: addition addition to that, Pat, we would have our independent technical needs. So our satellites, uh, you know, covering their territory, we can pretty much look down and say hey they're they're building a new facility in this particular region and then there are possibilities of getting information from individuals who are resident in the area who will be willing to share that kind of data with you so it's a composite of the various ways of getting your site but the key to this is the country has to agree to that inspection
0: sure and in the case of iran which would probably have to uh, happen in North Korea to achieve denuclearization they would have to physically remove fissile material from the country
1: right. D- dismantle as, all the bombs
0: as they as they did in Iran and yeah,
1: uh, and we did this with the with the soviets at, after the the end of the implosion of the soviet union the dismantling under treaties of various kinds of nuclear weapons and this was all both sides looking at who's doing what and taking the plug out and getting rid of the stuff and smashing up rockets and doing things of that sort. Same thing in Libya. Yeah, exactly.
0: Libya had a nuclear program. So great question, uh, Campbell. We appreciate that. And, and again, congratulations on being a global scholar for uh, for this year. Uh, well, Dick, we're, uh, we're pushing up against time. Uh, any uh, Any last comments on any of our stories today. It seems we're, we're spending a lot of time on China.
1: Yeah, but China's an important place.
0: Yeah, people are talking about uh, decoupling and um, uh, reducing uh, our relationship. You
1: know, part, of, part of the deal is uh, what do we want? What is the United States policy towards China? What are we trying to achieve with China? I mean, the, the idea that you know, we're going to try to go it alone on COVID-19 or go it alone on anything is, to me, kind of a, a silly kind of thing. So we need to figure out what kind of relationship we want to have with China and how do we go about doing that? All right, and I fear that right now it's just you know calling names at somebody rather than actually working. China and the United States need to work hand in glove to take on COVID along with the rest of the world, and you cannot solve this kind of pandemic just by yourself. So, All
0: right, there, a, are, there are, larger, uh, are there are larger there are larger. Uh, Global issues that uh, we can't do alone, climate change, uh, pandemics. Well, at the height
1: of the Cold War, the United States worked with the Soviet Union to get rid of smallpox. And we've worked with uh, all all sorts of adversaries trying to get rid of polio. So it's important to have a working agreement with everybody.
0: Okay, well, speaking of COVID, tonight uh, our webinar at 7 p.m. Central Time is uh, Global Nashville with Carl Dean, and former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean will be talking with Dr. James Hildreth. He's the president of uh, the Meharry Medical College. Uh, You might have seen him on the um, press conferences that Mayor Cooper has had in the past month or so. He's a a specialist on infectious diseases and we'll be talking about the impact on Nashville from the COVID pandemic. So don't miss that. Uh, This Thursday at uh, 2 p.m. Central Time, uh, we'll be participating with the Network of World Affairs Councils uh, in a webinar with the President of the U.S. Institute of Peace, Nancy Lindborg. Uh, She has been here in Nashville. Uh, She talked with uh, one of our global town halls and met with students. And uh, she's gonna be talking about uh, the pandemic and uh, the work of the U.S. Institute of Peace, USIP. And they've been a great uh, supporter of the World Affairs Council uh, network, especially the Academic World Quest competition. So don't miss uh, those two things. If you uh, didn't catch the dates and times, just check our website TNWAC.org for complete listing of all the programs we have coming up. Dick, happy birthday.
1: Thank you very much, Pat. And congratulations to Colleen for a great job last week. So we'll see you later.
0: Okay. Everybody be safe out there. Bye-bye.